Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be listening to this lecture by Dr. Bruce Ware, Problems with Open Theism. It looks like uh, it came out within the last couple of years. I'm not sure what's in here. We'll skip forward, uh, skip past the intro and see kind of what substance he offers for us. So it'll be kind of a mutual discovery again today. Problems with Open Theism, Dr. Bruce Ware. And remember, Bruce Ware is... In James Doyle's opinion, a theistic mutalist, mutableist, theistic mutableist, someone who thinks God can change, uh, Bruce Ware is practically, all intents and purposes, an open theist. And uh, here's Bruce Ware talking against open theism. Why you gotta hate yourself, my friend? God rules in such a way as to uphold the created structures. And because he gives liberty to his creatures. This is him defining open theism. What kind of liberty is that, do you suppose, from last night? Libertarian freedom. So the same view is held by open theists. Libertarian freedom. Because God gives liberty to his creatures, he is happy to accept the future as open, not closed, and a relationship with the world that is dynamic, not static. We see the universe then as a context in which there are real choices, alternatives, and surprises. God's openness means that God is open to the changing realities of history, that God cares about us and lets what we do impact Him. Now, I put in bold print a few phrases. Let me just highlight for you. Because God gives liberty to His creatures, He accepts the future as open. So what this means in open theism, in fact, this is where the name open theism comes from, is that, is that God accepts the world that he creates as a world in which he does not know, indeed cannot know, what free creatures will do until they do it. What free creatures will choose until they choose it. So look at the framing of that. So he, he does quote an open theist book for the initial definition. And this is why I think open theists really should focus on the nature and character of God. God is open rather than mankind because it allows some misframings. It allows some, uh, it allows this man-centered debate rather than who God is fundamentally. Oh, God can't know the free actions of creatures. Well, can God choose himself to do something that he didn't know he was going to do. Can he make a decision? Can he make a new decision, carry out a new course? Can he change his mind? Can he think a new thought, create a new bird, uh, add one more raindrop to a rainstorm? Can God do things when the issue is God? You get, you bypass a lot of this moralizing like, oh, God can't know the actions of people. Oh no, that's that's so bad. Well, let's focus on God. Can God make a new decision or is God stuck in fate? That puts the ball in their court and allows less of this, oh, uh, it, God can't know the future free actions of creatures. Well, yeah, no in what sense? Not, not in any uh, epistemological sense, but in the normal definition of what knowledge means, God can know the free actions of creatures. Remember, predict it. I doubled my money and like four months, something like that. Uh, I predicted very accurately mass action in aggregate. It wasn't too hard. People I didn't even know. People are predictable. I can know things about future free actions of people without the future being closed. This is this is the the psychoticness of uh, this this camp that we're dealing with here. These these Calvinists. I re-listened to that debate I had uh, with what was it? True Speller was the guy's name, and he was so psychotic that he believed that no one could make any promises. No one meaning actually, he was just talking about God. I I don't think he brings these standards into his day to day life, or else he's he can't function. He can't function. He thought that God can't promise anything unless God definitively knew the truth values of those future actions. Those those things were set in the future. That's the only way God could ever make a promise. I don't think he applies that to his real life. I don't think that 
in his day-to-day activities, if he has kids and he promises to bring his kids to McDonald's, I don't think he 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 uh he 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 goes through his little philosophical rigor says, "Oh, I can't promise you anything because I don't know the future." He doesn't do that. It's a different standard that applies only to God, and they will double down. They will die on this hill. God can't promise anything unless God knows the future truth values of every single proposition or else, oh no, the promise could be falsified, right? The promise might not come true. Oh no, uh, that'd be the end of the world if God said something and then that thing didn't happen, right? Uh, not not like the Bible ever has examples of that. But anyways, uh, Bruce Ware will let him speak for himself. So, you know, God could have a really good guess about what you might have for lunch today uh, or, or where you might go after the retreat is over this weekend. Uh, he might have a good guess about that, knowing your thoughts, because he, he knows everything past and present. So he knows all the things that you have done. All the- Yeah, when, when I talk about the money I won, betting on future free actions of people, it's not a good guess. It's knowledge. I know these things. And so framing it as a really good guess, Dr. Bruce Ware, is disingenuous. It's it's alien to how we normally act. You, you know, if if I insult my wife or something, or if I know how to make my kids cry by using a very strict voice, it's not a guess that uh, if I go up right now and use that voice to them to make them cry, I'm, I'm not guessing that that would happen. It's knowledge. It's knowledge. It's not a good guess. It's bad framing by bad intentioned individuals. Uh, these people, they're, they're stuck in their own mindset. They're stuck in their own bubble and they don't apply the common sense definitions. They don't, they, they, they always fall for the non-central fallacy where you don't take the normal definitions of words and you push it to the extremes that nobody uses. No one uses knowledge in the sense that you have direct uh, uh, in, inconvertible access to uh, the truth values of all propositions instantaneously ungenerated in your mind. Typically, knowledge to us is uh, our, our internal understanding of reality lining up with reality. Right. That's that's what knowledge is. Justified true belief is the is the common common definition of knowledge. I know there's a, there's a lot of back and forth about what constitutes actual knowledge, but the the working definition that works really well for most people in most scenarios is justified true belief, and that is knowledge, not whatever this guy is proposing. That's that's alien to how we work and operate. It's not until you go into theology that you come across this level of nuance, this level of of tediousness with definitions and word usages. All the things that you are thinking and planning and all the rest, he knows all of that comprehensively, exhaustively, but he doesn't know what you will do. And uh, so he can have a very good guess about that, but he knows what you will do when you do it. He knows what the future will be when it happens. (coughs) So that's what it means by he accepts the future as open, not closed. What, What would a closed future be? One in which God knows everything that will happen before it takes place. Then then that future is closed, as it were, insofar as uh, there's nothing that God could learn about what might take place in the future because he already knows it all. It's, it's a closed box. As it- Does this guy strike anyone else as a little bit wormy? I just, just his uh, tones and inflections, a kind of kind of a, a passive male. I don't know. I don't know what you want to say there. But uh, uh, it's very weak. As it were, uh, who, w- who would hold in the Christian tradition that the future is closed in that sense? That God knows exhaustively everything that is going to take place in the future before it happens. Who would hold that view? Everyone else in Christendom except open theism. That's the answer. All, you know, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholics, all Protestants... Every version of the Christian faith, except open theism, holds that God knows the future 
exhaustively. Remember that time John Calvin was complaining about all the open theists that are running around in his days? It, it turns out that open theism is pretty popular with people who are just reading the Bible um, for reading the Bible, wanting to take the Bible seriously. You have to become one of these elite theologians to start rejecting open theism. That, that's, that's what happens, that these, these people, they get into these positions of power and they get into their little bubble world and they start believing these things that the masses don't believe. Go talk to any normal person. They will sound like an open theist in how they talk about how God operates and thinks and, and has discursive knowledge, uh, has discursive uh, thoughts and decision-making. They will sound exactly like open theists. And Calvin complains about all the open theists running around in his days. People who just read the Bible and took it seriously. Ah, those people are so terrible reading the Bible. Before it happens. Okay, I, again, you'll just have to put up with me. Uh, I'm so sorry to have this problem with my throat and voice, but uh, um, I know you understand. I just wish it weren't true. Okay, so God is happy to accept the future as open, not closed. Now, the connection of that to freedom, I'll come to in a moment, because notice again the statement. He says, because he gives liberty to his creatures... He is happy to accept the future is open, not closed. That that causal relationship, huh? You mean giving giving libertarian freedom to people means that he must accept the future is open? We'll come back to that that notion in just a moment. The other thing that is there is is that God's openness means. Notice the bold print, the second second bold print. God's openness to the future means that God is open to the changing realities of history. So so God. You know, in terms of providence, you realize then that God can plan uh, the best he can based upon probabilities, based upon what he thinks might happen, but he realizes things might actually take place that he didn't anticipate. And, and so he has to be willing to kind of flex. Yeah, Jeremiah 18 describes just this. These people hate the Bible. These people hate God of the Bible. They they don't believe it. They hate it. If God was really like this, if that's reality, uh, they I we have them on tape. They would not worship that God. They hate God. They hate the Bible. He finds a problem with Jeremiah 18. When circumstances change, God says, God won't do what he said he would do. God won't do what he thought he would do. Jeremiah 18. They have an issue with this. They don't like it. What kind of worldview do you have to have where you totally reject things in your own holy document and just come up with something else? You know, it's uh, it's it's crazy to me. This crazy. This this man is considered a Christian theologian, a, a heavyweight, uh, someone respectable. He hates his own document. He hates the Bible. With and and to change his course of action depending upon what we actually do in the future. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the most uh, uh, forceful examples of this is in John Sanders' book that is entitled, The God Who Risks. Wow. When it comes to his discussion of the fall, Genesis 3, the, the heading above that section in his book on the fall is... The improbable, no, no, I'm sorry, the word is, the implausible happened. That is, God didn't anticipate that Adam and Eve would sin. And when it happened, he went, well, how about that? You know, who would have thought? Goodness, I put him in this. So, incredulity, that when, when they hear something they don't like, their initial response is, uh, just ridicule, mocking. They think that just stating something means it's false. And so uh, the idea that God wouldn't know that the fall would happen before it happens to him is so ludicrous that he just has to state it. Let's, let's see if he responds to it. Let's see if he responds and shows how God expected the fall. This wonderful garden gave them everything that they wanted. I only said there's one, yeah, I said there's just one tree you can't eat of. I mean, goodness, how much more do they want? And look what they did. And so God has to go from plan A to plan B when he learns that humans sinned. So that this is 
This is what it means when he says, when it says here that God is open to the changing realities of history, that God cares about us and lets what we do impact him. Yeah, remember in uh, Exodus 3, where God gives a cascading contingency plan, Exodus 3, 4, around there, of uh, the miracles that Moses would have to do to convince Israel. Um, it, you know, if, if this miracle doesn't work to convince them, then try this one. If that doesn't work, try this. And then guess what? Guess what? Moses isn't even the one talking because God had to change his plans there as well because Moses gave resistance and God had to appoint someone else to talk for Moses. Uh, God was angry. God was frustrated. His creatures were defying him and he had to change his plans in, in response. This, this is the story of the Bible. It's, oh, it's, it's. Christian theologians, people with doctorates by their name, Dr. Bruce Ware, he's got a doctorate in the Bible. They reject the Bible. They reject it. They don't, they don't, they don't care what it says. And uh, if you if you talk about story, arc, character development, they will they will respond in outrage. They don't care about all that. They got their theology. It doesn't the Bible says something. Uh, doesn't matter what the Bible says. Bruce Ware has his own theology. He has a theology of outrage. If you read the Bible and talk about what's happening there, oh man, oh that's so terrible. You, they, you should be shunned. You should be kicked out of whatever conventions. Uh, Dr. Bruce Ware tried to get Opetheists kicked out of what is uh, whatever the Southern uh, Baptist Convention, something like that. Society of Evangelicals, uh, kick them out uh, because they're open theists because they read the Bible. They care about what the Bible says, and then they just talk about what the Bible says. Kick them out. They're done. They're through. No Bible for you. All right. <clears throat> now, one more thing about the openness view that is really important is cap letter C. Dissatisfaction with process theism and classical theism, including classic Arminianism. Now, you know, let me just, just give you, again, a thumbnail sketch of process. Process theism is a completely liberal theology that is not, is not within evangelicalism. It was taught by Alfred North Whitehead, Charles Hartshorn at Harvard and the University of Chicago Divinity School for 30 plus years uh, and had a huge impact on uh, theology in North America. In it had a huge impact. Uh why where where are you gonna get that this huge impact from i don't think i know well i i roll in very unique circles so people have probably heard of whitehead but any of my real life contacts people i've met casually through non-open theist circles or non-theological circles no one, no one's gonna know any of this stuff no one's gonna know anything about process the no one's heard of process theism I guess it's a real problem, though, that uh, he, he really cares about. And process is, is process theism the same as open theism? Is that is that why you're bringing this up? Is, is there some correlation? Is that what's going on here? In particular in the 20th century. But, but it is a completely liberal view. I mean, they don't hold to the resurrection of Christ, the deity of Christ. The yeah, so let's, let's meet. I'm doing a lecture, Problems with Calvinism. I say... Hey, let's let's talk about Gnosticism. Let's talk about Platonism. And uh, so in these views, God is perfectly simple. He's an abstract concept. Uh, he's he's ineffable. He's he's outside of space time. He doesn't change. This is this is counter counter to anything that the Bible tells us about God. This this is this is uh, a basically pantheism. Pantheists are, are bad too. So so use use pantheism, your hatred of pantheism, your hatred of Gnosticism, and then associate that with Calvinism. In fact, in fact, there's actually a real link between Gnosticism and Platonism and Augustinianism, right? Augustine said that uh, he loved he loved Plato, he loved Plotinus, he filled his works with them. I have that one quote that's used on. Uh, as the start of the one book, but then his friend also sent him a quote that said, your, your writings are full of Plato, Plotinus, and uh, Jesus. And it, 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 was a, it was a praise. It wasn't a criticism. And Augustine said that the Bible, the only thing the Bible gave was charity. All his theology he got from the Platonists. 
right? Th th these are legitimate links that that are that are uh, documented. They're real, and anyone who cares about history knows about the links between Gnosticism, Platonism, and Augustinianism, classical Christianity. It, it's it's all documented, all there. But but we can do guilt by association and and our association guilt by association is factual factual but he's saying oh process theists are like open theists and process theists that have these problems i guess boyd did a did a thesis or something on process theism once and i now now all of open theism can be condemned because look look at this other theology process theism that that's that's pretty scary that's kind of associated with open theism that's scary too how much, how much time does he devote in his lecture to this? I mean, just you name the doctrine within the Christian faith that matters and they deny it. So, I mean, they are just totally liberal. But they have had a huge influence because they argued that uh, the God of classical theism is a static God. He's remote. You know, he's eternal and timeless and unchangeable. And so, you know, there's... Yeah, and who who did they influence, and and how how big of an influence did they actually have, or or are you just maybe he runs in pretty insulated circles as well, and he he overinflates minor minor theologies. There's no way in which that God can actually be related to this changing dynamic world. So in its place, they proposed a God <coughs> who is instead indeed very dynamic and changing. In fact. He is changing to the highest degree possible. Uh, the term that Charles Hartshorn used of God uh, is that he is sur-relative. It's a term he coined, which simply means supremely relative. He is changing to the maximal degree possible, and that's what constitutes him as one of a kind, as unique, as highest of all, is because he is changing more than anyone else is changing so look at the value sets in in both these theologies calvinism and process theism in calvinism they adopt the platonic tenets they they adopt the platonic values that change equals decay equals bad and god can't change because god has to be simple he has to be the unmoved mover which has to be the simplest of all beings and he himself if he moved he there's there must be something more primal than him and then comes along this theology which they they obsess over as is totally bad called process theism which has a different value set which values god as the most moved mover uh, to use uh terms of uh, what richard rice's book or whoever um most moved mover where he, he's moving all the time all the way maximally moving so you, you got these these two crazy groups uh butting up against each other and fighting because their value set their fundamental value set is uh complete opposite and what is the way to tell which value set is correct and which ones is it right what what makes the platonic value set correct and the process value set incorrect this is a fight of of uh assumed theologies there's there's nothing nothing there in metaphysics to say that one is true and one is false and it's it's the values that each of these people are bringing to the equation and it's almost almost reminds me of uh what remember back uh, before World War II, where the Nazis were fighting with the communists? They were involved in street gang fights. Two different socialistic groups duking it out of the streets. That's what what's here. They the the Browns and the Reds just fighting it out. They got their different value sets. They have uh, and they're then they're coming to the streets and clashing, which is interesting. The Bible doesn't talk like any of this that God is the most dynamic God or God is maximally changing or maximally static. Instead, God is living, right? And God has some very firm attributes as well. God is compared to a rock. Uh, he he stands firm on his promises. There, There's elements of being static. Uh, there's elements of being strong, being firm, uh, in play with living values. God is a person. God is a person in both these groups process theists and the Calvinists want to relegate God to a phenomena. 
He's a mathematical equation. He's an input-output robot, and he has to perform certain ways in certain situations with no deviation. God is a phenomena. God is an aspect of the universe. God is not a person. In open theism, God is a person. Uh, which is just exactly the opposite of classical theism, which held that God cannot change at all in any respect. <coughs> so, Hartshorn says he, he is changing maximally. Well, here's what they argue that the, in, in, in terms of how he changes. He, he is constantly made better by what happens in the world. So he is benefiting from what happens in the world and, uh, and taking to himself what happens in the world. He likewise doesn't know what's going to happen. He leaves. That is another platonic value. Uh, the, this concern about maximally great. What makes a maximally great being? Uh, the Bible doesn't talk like this. Uh, they have to coerce uh, certain verses out of context and just pretend it's about the, these uh, values. The Bible doesn't care about, quote unquote, maximally great beings. That's not a thing in the Bible. That's not a concept that they had access to. It's not a theological concern. Only in process theism, if we were taking Bruce Ware's word about what they believe as accurate and in Calvinism, are they concerned with these values? They're not biblical values. They're not Semitic values. They're, these are Greek Greek concerns, Greek values. You got the got the communists and the Nazis fighting it out in the streets for their own particular versions of socialism. That up to us, but whatever we do, then benefits God. It, he takes it into his own being. Now, open theists are really grateful to process for their critique of the classical theist tradition. But they don't line themselves up with process theologians in their liberalism. So, but, but what they do agree with is, if God is going to be related to this world, then he has to be in a relationship of give and take. It cannot be the case that God just knows everything that's going to happen and he is unaffected by what we do in the world. Rather. He learns what ha happens as we do it, and he is greatly affected by what happens in the world. So the openness view rejects part of process and accepts part of process theology in its view. Now, what about classic Arminianism? This, this is more important for you, for you to see this. Open theists are Arminians who have seen problems with the Arminian view that they believe can be corrected by denying exhaustive, definite foreknowledge. Let me say that again. Open theists are Arminians who, who have come to see problems with the Arminian view that they believe can be corrected if you merely give up the notion of God's foreknowledge, meaning that God knows the future exhaustively. I wouldn't disagree, but uh, there's there's more that has to go than just God's foreknowledge. God being timeless, God being simple, God being uh, pure actuality with no potentiality. Those things have to go. The classical concept, the Greek concept, the Platonistic concept, direct from the pages of Plotinus through Augustine, through the rest of the Christian church, those things have to go. Those things have to go. And so not not just this one aspect. I, th I think it's, it does not behoove open theists just to focus on this foreknowledge aspect. Uh, God being pure actuality. Does God have a potential to do anything he wants? Does God sit in heaven and do whatever he pleases? Or... Is he stuck by fate to forever be a solid rock that never changes, can't deviate, must do according to fate everything that has ever been foreknown? God is an aspect of the universe. He is not a person. He's a phenomena. Is, is that the accurate picture? That's not the picture that I get from the Bible. Right? When you, when you read stories of God's thoughts, God's actions, God's interactions, God is not this uh, stone idol that the Calvinists would have him be. <coughs> Exhaustive, definite foreknowledge. So, uh, wh why, why, why is exhaustive, definite foreknowledge a problem? 
This notion that is held in 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 classic Arminianism, this notion that God knows before he creates the world, he knows in exacting detail everything that is going to take place through all of history. Why is that a problem? Two things. They're on your handout here. Number one, this is C1. The problem of exhaustive, definite foreknowledge and genuine libertarian freedom. If God knows the future exhaustively, he knows, for example, what you are going to have for lunch today, and he has known that from eternity, are you free to do differently than God knows you will do? I'm putting emphasis on some of those words. If God has known from eternity what you're going to have for lunch today, are you free to do differently from what God knows you will do? What's the answer? No. How could you do differently from what He knows you will do? Right? If He knows you will do it, that's certain. It cannot be different than what God knows it will be. If you could do different than, let's say, we have to put this in quotes, than what God knows you will do, then He didn't know it. Right? He didn't know that you will do it. It was just a guess. But if he knows, it's not a guess, he knows it as a fact. He just knows it as a fact before it takes place. If he knows as a fact before it takes place, this is what you will do. Are you free to do otherwise? No. They say so. Yeah, I really think we need to frame the debate better. We can't be letting them use this guesswork stuff. No, when, when I know what my kid is, if I go ask my little girl right now, if she wants some ice cream, it's not a guess. It's not a good guess about what she'll do. It's knowledge. She'll say yes, that she would want some ice cream. It's, it's not guesswork. And so what they want instead is uh, something like fatalistic knowledge. Does God have fatalistic knowledge of the future? Knowledge that is non-falsifiable. And uh, yeah, this it's just when open theists use knowledge, we use the word correctly. We use it in accordance with normal, common language conventions. When they use the word knowledge, they mean fatalistic knowledge. They mean direct internal access to the truth value of the proposition that's in question. Fatalistic knowledge. Knowledge that cannot be falsified. Knowledge that is exact and must occur. Knowledge that is directly uh, accessible. Uh, there, there's a direct correlation between the propositions held by the being with the knowledge and the actual proposition itself, the truth value of that, there, there's, it's, it's fatalistic. It's fatalistic knowledge. It's, uh, that, that's, that's the term that they really should be using. Instead of calling our views guesses and our knowledge, not knowledge, they're the ones hijacking language. This is not how language works. We need to stop letting these people do it. It's, it's a very cultist, cultist thing to do is to hijack language, change the terms in order to control thinking. Back to our Cult of Calvinism uh, episode when we're talking about the paper about how Calvinism is a cult, controlling word definitions is how they do it. Look, look at how they engage in any discussion or any debate. God sits in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Instantly their mind, see, see God controls everything. Uh, is, is, is that even a rational conclusion from reading that verse? Uh, the Bible talks about the elect. Oh, the elect are the, this special group of people that have been foreknown from eternity that are chosen through through nothing nothing they do. Uh, this is the eternal people of God. Uh, where do they get that from the usage of this word? Predestination? Oh, predestination. Well, well we kind of know what predestination means. Uh, in, in the English language, so it must mean that in the Greek, right? And it must mean this uh, this uh, fatalistic forcing of all future actions. If people are predestined, that means they have no choice in the matter. Is that what the word means? Is that even what the English word means in in all usages? In, in old usage, is that what the word means? Is that what the Greek word means? When you look throughout ancient literature, non-biblical literature that's not what the word means it's not what the word elect means either elect means choice like the choice fruit 
the choice troops. You take your choice troops descend into battle first as a, as a shockwave troops that that's going to disrupt the enemy. These are these are your best fighters. They're your choice fighters. You pick the choice grapes to 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 make your uh, wine. That's what elect means. Elect doesn't mean this this uh, choosing without any factors that would make us worthy of a choice. That something that we have no choice in. There's something that is irresistible. The elect go to hell in Romans. And in Paul's theology, the elect go to hell. But anyways, anyways, let's go back to Bruce Ware and see what he says. So, even though Arminianism, classic Arminianism, values libertarian freedom, right? They do. I mean, think, think of our discussion last night. Boy, libertarian freedom is just upheld as so crucial to understanding who we are, made made by God. What are uh, yeah? Outside of Calvinist discussions, no one no one talks about libertarian freedom. These people, because they're cultists, they obsess about these issues. They obsess about uh, being predestined. They obsessed about. Uh, us having no part in our own salvation. And so every single conversation that they engage in is on these issues. And so with that sampling, the, they, they hear their opponents talk about libertarian freedom, uh, the ability to choose. They, they hear it all the time. But that doesn't come up in normal discussions. Not often. It's their cultist worldview. It's that they care about certain things to such an extent that they force everyone they they talk to, interact with, into these discussions, and they think the entire world cares about their value set. This is their warped perspective of the world. I, your experience may vary. Your experience may vary, but no one talks about libertarian freedom. If you're you're having a normal conversation. Outside of the open theist uh, versus Calvinist worldview, no one talks about. It. They no one obsesses about it. These people are obsessed with fatalism. They're obsessed with predestination. They're they're redefining. They're hijacking of the word, and as a result, their entire world revolves around this. It's like maybe maybe someone cares quite a lot about uh, Star Trek or something like that. And so anything they see is a reference to Star Trek and all the conversations they have is about Star Trek. And then they say, why does everyone hate Star Trek so much? Because that that's all they talk about. And so that's what they think, think everyone's conversations involve. And, and, uh, they, they, they find out that not very many people are fans of Star Trek. They go around hating Star Trek all the time, every day, all day, no, no, they don't. Maybe your your samples skewed by by your your idiosyncrasies. That's 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 what's going on there. Ah, I think it's just funny. These people. Our responsibility is uh, how we are held morally responsible. Uh, how to how to account for evil in the world and all you know all these things. Goodness, libertarian freedom is is hugely important to classic Arminianism. And now come along these open theists who say, but here's the problem. Because you also hold to exhaustive definite foreknowledge, that means you can, there cannot be genuine libertarian freedom. You may have the psychological um, sense that you are choosing freely when you choose what you have for lunch today. Are we eating lunch together? Okay, so are we going to eat here? Cross the street. Okay, so are we going to order? Or is it a buffet? Buffet. Okay, so you go down the buffet. Wow, they, they had quite a lot of knowledge about what's going to happen in the future. Just in his own example here, uh, they had a lot of knowledge about the future, what they're going to eat for lunch. This is the knowledge that they claim God can't have. God doesn't know what we're going to eat for lunch, but they do. Wow, they must be omniscient, his group and him. <laughs> you, you, walk, you walk down the buffet... And, and you have this array of foods to pick from, right? You know, and so you may have this psychological sense that you're free in choosing this dish and not this one. But if God has known from eternity that you will pick this one, but not this one, then could you could you have been free to have chosen differently? And the open theist says, no, even though you it, it seems to you that you're free, you're not really free. So. If you want to, if you want to undergird rather than undermine 
uh, true libertarian freedom, you have to give up exhaustive, definite foreknowledge for God. So instead, God doesn't know what you're going to have when you go through the buffet line for lunch today until you choose it. He might have a good guess. You know, uh, Susie, you know, she... <laughs> I'm guessing God had a good guess that uh, Bruce Orr was going to load his plate up at the buffet. I, I did just something, something, something tells me that I can't put my finger on it exactly. What tells me that? But I, that's, that's just a inclination that I have. Never picks the fried chicken. You know, she, she, she hates that, that Kentucky fried chicken kind of stuff, you know. She never picks that. So he can have a pretty good guess. But you know what? Maybe Susie is with a friend that day who has said, I had chicken here last week and it is really good and it's hardly greasy at all. You know, and so what does she do? She takes a piece of chicken. I mean, and God goes, well, how about that? You know, I never. So, yeah, I, I love how they just come up with uh, absurd situations in their mind all the time to try to say, oh, see, this would falsify what I, it's never like a biblical example. God, God planted Israel that he uh, in Isaiah five. We just did the episode on Isaiah five. He expected good grapes, but they did not materialize. God is frustrated continually by people turning out. The exact opposite of how he expected. He he expects them to do something. They don't do it. What more can I have, have done to you, for you? Is what God says. God's expectations are failed. Is it Isaiah where he says, uh, I said that you will return to me, but you did not return. God's expectations fail time and time again in the Bible. They don't want to deal with biblical examples. So that's the funny thing to do when uh, interacting with these people is that if they're trying to use some absurd example and trying to get your take on it, just counter with a biblical example. Say, okay, that example is all nice and good at all. Uh, but we can turn to this biblical example. We don't have to come up with our own examples. We turn to the Bible and that reinforces the fact that these people hate the Bible. These people hate the Bible. They hate God. They hate the Bible. They don't care what the Bible says. They have their own theology. Turning to the Bible makes them have to deal with this cognitive dissonance in their own mind where they, they say they like the Bible, but they really hate it. So the Bible says a bunch of things that they don't like, and they will be brought face to face. They're ridiculing open theism for stories that are literally in the Bible. Black and white, we can read it all, and we don't have to come up with these own little examples. God's expectations fail in the Bible, Isaiah 5. So if you got a problem with that, Bruce Ware, your problem's not with open theists, your problem's with the Bible. Never would have guessed that Susie would have a piece of chicken, but here she is. So this is God who learns what will take place in the future when it happens. And that renders our freedom, our libertarian freedom, real, according to open theism. Okay, now this critique, this critique is huge because of the value of libertarian freedom to the Arminian view, which means that thoughtful Arminians out there in colleges across the country, uh, you think, think of a place like uh, Azusa Pacific College, Seattle Pacific up in the northwest where I grew up in, in Washington State, Seattle Pacific, very similar and many, 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 many Christian colleges around the country are, are lean in an Arminian direction or just, you know, just flatly are Arminian. Well, guess what? If they have thoughtful faculty members in Bible and theology who have thought through these issues, you know they are leaning in, a, in an open theist direction because it solves this problem. They want libertarian freedom. And to think that... It's undermined by exhaustive definite foreknowledge. That's horrible. So now they realize all they have to do. Yeah, we need to point out the absurdity of this, that this guy's a fatalist. He thinks all our thoughts have been faded from time eternal. God has predestined everything. And then he talks about our wants and our desires. They want libertarian freedom. Do they? Do they? Or is that God's eternal will in your system? These people... Calvinists do not believe their own system. They have their little cult. They have their little system. Um, but 
they don't act they don't behave they don't they they show us no true belief in the things that they're saying yeah what's a good example here so maybe something like uh let's let's take a state and it's ruled by politicians who believe in universal health care and they they keep voting to make the entire nation adopt universal health care but they don't do it on a state level they don't truly believe in the things that they are saying they, they have their talking points they'll give their talking points but their inability to execute it in the place where they have the power to execute it shows us that they understand that it's it's not a thing that works it's not a thing that's practical it's not something that they actually truly believe in when they have the power to act they do not act it shows a disconnect between their ideals and their true beliefs they'll say something they don't believe it dr bruce ware he says that uh, uh god controls everything everything's predestined but people have wants and desires and and he speaks as if it's within our own volition to decide our own wants and desires. He does not believe his own theology. To do, to, to re-secure, as it were, the integrity of real freedom, libertarian freedom, the, the ability to choose otherwise, all you have to do is give up exhaustive definite foreknowledge. Boy, many have been very happy to do it. So the openness view is growing in popularity among thoughtful Arminians who, who, you know, kind of think through these issues. Okay, here's the second problem. You know where I see a lot of growth with my interactions is, is people who actually care what the Bible says. Uh, a lot of open theist experiences are, you know, I started reading the Bible and it didn't say all these things that I've been taught my entire life. They've been indoctrinated into a system that believes contradictory things, two contradictory things, that God is uh, simple, timeless, uh, has exhaustive foreknowledge of the future. He, uh, he, he doesn't have predicates or anything like that. Uh, he, 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 all these, he's pure actuality. There's no, there's no change. Uh, they, they're taught that. And then they're also taught about the supremacy of the Bible, that the Bible is true, accurate, and inspired. And, and once they start researching it, if they actually care about these issues and they start reading the Bible pretty soon, that huge disconnect in their belief comes to a forefront. Uh, they, they are confronted with the fact that the Bible doesn't teach any of this. The Bible is actually very contrary to this. God is a person in the Bible, a person with his own thoughts, desires, internal conflicts, his, his will, he... he he actually acquiesces to others. He considers situations and makes decisions. He gets input from other people. Uh, often, often he reaches out for advice. He is convinced. He becomes angry. He becomes bitter. He becomes wrathful. He becomes extremely happy. He becomes extremely loving. God is a person with the full range of human thoughts, desires, motivations, and a volition of his own. God is a person. So they come across this static God of the Greeks, indoctrinated their entire life, and then they come across the personhood of God in the Bible, and they become open theists because what reigns supreme in their mind, if they had a conflict between the tradition they've been taught and the Bible, they're going to go with the Bible, <clears throat> or else they're not going to be Christians because uh, Christianity without the Bible, uh, what is that? You might as well not be Christian. And so that's where I'm seeing the biggest growth in open theists in my interactions. Not saying that it's universal. I'm sure there's there's a lot of people who convert to open theism through the Ord camp. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a fairly popular wing of open theism. That it's not very biblically focused, but there are two sides of the coin. We talked about this last night, so this won't be a, a huge surprise to you. The problem of exhaustive definite foreknowledge and genuine providential governance of the world. Again, here, you remember Jack Cottrell from last night? If God knows uh, what we're going to do before we do it, then that gives him a tremendous advantage. There's a providential benefit that comes to God 
in knowing what we're going to do before we do it, because then he can adjust things and put his own plans in place in light of things that he knows we're going to do. Remember that concept we talked about last night? Well, here's the problem with that. And open theists are aware of it. The problem is that if God knows everything, if it's exhaustive, definite foreknowledge, if he knows everything that's going to happen, and his knowledge of that means it must happen as he knows it, and the, and the scope of what he knows is absolutely everything, then guess what? Even though he knows it ahead of time, he cannot adjust anything about it in any respect whatsoever. So it gives God absolutely no providential benefit. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Uh, the Cassandra complex, that uh, God knows the future and is powerless to change it. God cannot change a faded future. Anyways, we're, we're at about an hour. I'm going to listen to the rest of this. And if he's got some good stuff that we haven't heard before, a lot of this stuff is rehashed. It's almost like they have, all these people have the same script and they read the same script. And so it, it's not as interesting to me to respond to these types of talks that are just, uh, here's an hour lecture on open theism because everyone has done it before. There, there's there's very little variety, all the same talking points. They've been handed the same script and they read the same script. So it, it's, it's all the same stuff that you're responding to. But I'll listen to the rest of this, see if there's anything novel and new. And maybe next week, uh, if there's if there is something that is interesting, then then we could roll with that. But uh, maybe these people, they just should grab one lecture and just play that lecture over and over again rather than this rehashing the same talking point stuff. That, that gets pretty old. Anyways, uh, questions, comments, concerns, put those down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. And thank you for listening.